morning. I appreciate always an opportunity to be with God's people and to think about God's will. Very recently, I was asked this question that you see on the screen. How do I know when I'm ready to become a Christian? And of course, it's the kind of thing that I had contemplated over the course of a number of years, because as you talk with people about the gospel as you go outside the wire, as you talk to people who still need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. At a certain point in talking and studying with people, you can sometimes see that they have reached the valley of decision. You can see on their faces and sometimes they will express with their own words that they're sort of limping between two opinions. You you have set before them life and death and encouraged them to choose life. And sometimes people will say they're not sure they're ready to choose life. Sometimes in working with young people in churches, uh, people who are growing up in the church, so to speak. I know that's not technically true, but they're growing up in the shadow of the church. They're used to going to services each and every day, and they know their parents are faithful Christians. And at a certain point in their lives, maybe they begin to appreciate that they have never obeyed the gospel themselves, although they're used to being a part of the assembly and doing Christian things. And they begin to ask the question themselves. Well, when am I going to be baptized and when am I going to become a Christian for myself? And I have seen them sometimes wrestle with that. Even my own children, my oldest boy is 11. And and some years ago, he asked me when he was going to be baptized. When was he going to become a Christian? And so young people sometimes have to have to deal with this. They have to sort all of this out. Sometimes people assemble. I have seen this with the Lord's people participate in the services of the church for five and 10 and 20 years. And they have still never decided to obey the gospel themselves. You know, at a certain point, we enter the valley of decision and we have to decide. I think it's important that we really think through a decision like this so that once we make it, we know exactly what it is that we are getting ourselves into. So that when we make it, we never have to to look back and wonder if we truly knew what we were doing when we did it. How do I know when I'm ready to become a Christian. I have seen this. Maybe you have as well. Young people sometimes think they are ready, but later in life they look back and they say, you know what? When I was 10 years old, I really did not know and understand what I was doing. And so they come maybe when they're in college, you know, they come when they're a little more mature and they say, I don't believe I did that properly. And so that I can be settled in my mind, I think I need to be, and they would say, baptized again. I would think that it's not necessary for people to have that kind of confusion in their own hearts and minds. First, we need to understand what it means to be a Christian in the first place. A Christian, according to Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26, is a a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Maybe you remember in Matthew 28, Jesus helps us to know what a Christian is. He says, go therefore in all the world or go and teach the gospel to all nations. You make disciples of everyone, everywhere that you can find. Says those who are going to obey should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. What is a Christian? 
A Christian is someone who is following Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who endeavors to keep all the commands he has given. So what is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I point out to you as we begin, though, that some people are not ready to become Christians. How do you know when you're ready? Well, first, some people are not ready. You remember in Acts 26, Paul is there and he's talking with King Agrippa. He tells King Agrippa about the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. He speaks to him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 28, King Agrippa says, you know what? You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Well, Almost persuaded is not persuaded. He had heard the truth about Christ, but he was not ready to obey the truth himself. Some people are not ready. I suggest to you that we can know when we are ready. But here are some things that you should think about and make sure uh, that if you're inclined to follow Christ, uh, these are not the reasons that you would be inclined to do it. Sometimes people think You know, I've reached a certain age and I should become a Christian because I have reached a certain age. You know, I'm 12 now or I'm 15. And so I know people are expecting this of me. So let me go ahead and do that. That's not the way this works. Sometimes we look around and we see, especially young people, we look around and we see that, listen, all of my friends are are being baptized. All of my friends are becoming Christians. So it must be time for me to do it. That's not the way this works. Uh, Sometimes I remember uh, as a young person, uh, uh, I went to services and people were responding to the invitation. And I remember my mother looking at me and she was giving me the look like, why don't you respond? I didn't, but that's not the way this works. You know, you don't become a Christian because your parents want you to. You don't become a Christian because that's what your wife wants. You don't become a Christian because that's what your Your husband wants. If you did try to become a Christian under those circumstances, friends, then I suggest to you that later you will have to question whether or not you have been truly converted. This is not always a simple kind of inquiry. I want to take you through several things this morning. It's not the kind of thing where I'd say, well, if you can check this one box, you're ready. As I survey the New Testament, I see there are lots of things that need to be considered so that we can know that we're making an intelligent decision for Jesus Christ. And so this morning, that's what I hope to do. I hope to to maybe help some of the young people who who have to think about these things, no doubt are thinking about these kinds of things all the time. I hope to present some things. If you're sitting in our assembly and you're asking yourself, you know, well, what's holding me back? Am I ready to become a Christian? Maybe these things will help you come to a decision to choose life. And if you're talking to people about Christ Jesus, I hope that these are some things that you will take note of so that you can help the people you talk to make an intelligent, reasoned, committed decision to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first thing I would ask you is, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can't be a disciple, a follower of someone you've never heard of. Have you heard the truth about Jesus Christ? In Romans chapter 10, you remember the Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how can you call on the one that you have not believed in? You can't call on a person you don't believe. Question, how can you believe if you haven't first heard? You can't. And Romans chapter 10 tells us that a man believes unto righteousness, but first you have to hear the truth about Jesus Christ in order to believe. 
The Bible tells us in Mark 16, this is how Jesus set things up. You remember in verse 15, he says, go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel among all nations. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And those who don't believe, don't believe, of course, they won't be saved. They'll be condemned. But first, a person has to hear the truth. And that's the way Jesus set it up. Someone has to preach the truth. Someone has to share the truth. Have you heard the truth about Jesus Christ? If you have heard the truth about his life, you've heard the truth about his love, You know the sacrifice that he made and you know why. Then maybe you're ready to become his disciple. How are you going to hear it? I suggest you open your Bible. And you turn to the book of Matthew. And you meet Jesus. You read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You read it for yourself. You don't take other people's word for who Jesus is, but but you read it for yourself. You read how he lived and you read what he taught and you read about what he did, the sacrifice that he made and why. And then you might be in a position to follow after him because you will have heard something and you will know something about his life and his love for yourself. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand who he is? It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to understand. And if you're going to make a decision to follow after Christ, you ought to understand what you're getting yourself into. You ought to understand who it is that you're choosing to follow. I remember reading in the book of Acts, you know, a man there has traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And and the Bible says that as he's returning from worship, he's reading his Bible. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. And as he's reading, a man is commissioned, Philip by name, to go to him and to help him. And as he's reading, the question had been asked, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand except some man should guide me? Verses 30 and 31. He was reading from the book of Isaiah. He was reading about the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But as he was reading it, he did not fully understand. And he asked the question, is this man talking about himself, Isaiah, or is he talking about someone else? And Philip began at the same scripture and talked to him about Jesus Christ. How could he have ever become a follower of Christ if he didn't understand who Jesus was? And then I remember in Acts 16, you know, Paul is in prison there at Philippi and there's been the earthquake and the bars of the prison were opened. And and the, the jailer thought that Paul and those others had escaped, but they hadn't. And when Paul told him not to harm himself because the prisoners were still there to be accounted for, the man comes in and asks the question of Paul, what must I do to be saved? No doubt he had heard Paul uh, saying something about Christ. uh, singing about Christ and about the God of heaven, but he didn't understand how all of that applied to his life and how it would manifest itself to the saving of his soul. So he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he got the answer. What I'm suggesting to you is sometimes people are not ready to become followers of Christ because though they have heard information about Christ, they don't understand all that they have heard. Do you have lingering questions in your mind about who Christ is and about how he saves those who are lost? 
If you do, get answers to your questions. If you do, get guidance so that you can know who Christ is and how he can manifest his power to save even your life. I'm saying to you, if you know who Jesus is and you know how Jesus saves, then you may be ready to become his disciple. I would ask you the question, are you sorry for the sins you've committed against God? You know, ultimately, all sin is committed against God. I know our sins involve other people, but but God is the one who gives us the boundaries. He's the one who tells us we can go this far and no further. All of the obligations that we have in this life we have because God has given them. And when we fall short of our obligations or when we transgress the boundaries he has given, all sin ultimately is committed against the God of heaven. Do you understand that? And how do you feel about it? In Psalm 51, you'll remember that psalm is is given to us because David is reflecting upon his own sin. He understands that he has transgressed against God and though he has committed adultery and though he is responsible for the death of one of his own faithful soldiers, he says, I have sinned against God and against you only have I sinned. He feels the profundity. He feels the weight of his sin. In Psalm 51, in verse 17, he reflects and says, The sacrifices of God are a a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. He feels the weight of his sin. He feels the responsibility of it. And his heart is broken as a result. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10, we see something similar. The Bible tells us there, godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation. Godly sorrow Sorrow that is directed toward God because of our sin, our transgression that works repentance unto salvation. The Bible says the kind of repentance now that no one will ever need to be ashamed of when you are penitent toward God, when you feel the weight of responsibility for your sin, when you see Christ hanging on the cross there at Calvary and you know it's because of you that he went there that ought to have an impact on your heart. You ought to feel a degree of shame. It ought to move you to tears. It ought to break your spirit. We ought to feel guilty because we are guilty. I'm suggesting to you if your heart breaks over your role in the death of Jesus Christ, if you understand your responsibility, When you see that you have fallen short of the boundaries, the mark that God has set. If you see that, then you may be ready to become Jesus' disciple. Are you ready to put Jesus first in your life? The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. The Bible says that when you're sorrowful toward God because you know that you have not lived up to the 
expectations that he has set for you that ought to move you to change your mind. Now we sin because we put something other than Christ first. We put ourselves first. We do what we want to do. We, we put someone else first and so we do what they want to do. We listen to other people rather than listening to God. If we change our minds because of our broken and contrite hearts, friends, then we have to make the decision that we're going to put Jesus first. Are you ready to do that? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says we ought to seek the kingdom first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says we ought to put God's kingdom, God's authority, his agenda first in our lives. You can't be a follower of Christ if you won't put the kingdom of God first because that's what Jesus did and he always did it. You remember seeing him there in the garden? Jesus sort of had his own mind about what was about to happen. The Bible says that as he's there in the garden, he says to his father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup, this portion. Jesus had been uh, served, if you will, a lot and a portion. His portion was to die for the salvation of the world. He recognized how difficult that was going to be. He recognized that this was going to be a very awesome and burdensome thing for him to endure. And in his mind, if there was another way, he would prefer it. But you see, even then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to put, you're going to have to put God's will First, you're going to have to put Jesus first in Luke 14. In Luke 14, verses 25 and 26, Jesus makes a statement that uh, maybe when we first read, it seems to be quite, quite, uh, quite a radical one. He says in verse 25, verse uh, 25, he says, now, now there went with him great multitudes, and he turned and said to them, If any man comes unto me and hates not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, listen to it, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says if a person doesn't hate his father and mother, if he doesn't hate his wife and his children, if he doesn't hate his brothers and his sisters, if he doesn't hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my follower. Obviously, he doesn't mean hate uh, in the sense that we use the term. He's talking about a relative preference. You see, if you prefer anyone or anything to me, if you prefer your own life to me, then you can't be my disciple. But if you are one who is willing to make Jesus the priority in his or her life, if you are one who is willing to say Jesus has to be first, he's above everything and everyone else, you may be ready to become his disciple. But you still have to ask yourself, are you ready to make the changes that God requires in your life? It's one thing to say, I'm, I'm willing to make Jesus first. But then when Jesus tells you that something in your life has to change, if he tells you that something in your life must be different than it always has been, are you ready to accept that? Are you ready to make the changes? Remember, godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow causes change. 
Are you willing to make changes? You can't be a disciple if you're going to do everything the way you want to do it. A disciple is a follower. You can't be a Christian if you're going to do things the way you want to do them. If you're going to follow Christ, you'll have to do it the way he wants it done. In Romans chapter 6, and I want to look at a couple of passages here. I just want to slow down long enough to look at these passages because I think this is really the pivotal point for a lot of people in making the determination of whether or not they are ready. You hear information about Jesus Christ and you think to yourself, well, listen, that's uh, well, that's unfortunate, you know, that a person died because he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, that's always sad. And then you begin to understand, wait a minute, he did that because of what I have done. And you you feel the weight of that. You feel the burden of that. And you understand that there is a responsibility that comes with that. And then you are confronted with the idea that in order to respond to that burden, that responsibility appropriately, you must make changes. And some people are not ready to change. But you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ without making changes. In Romans chapter six, beginning at verse number one, the Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid we who died to sin. How shall we live any longer therein? Or are you ignorant that all who all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Listen to this. We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. If you're going to follow Christ, it means you've got to lay your old life down and then walk in newness of life just as he did. And so we can't continue in sin any longer. You know, sometimes people, I do, for those of you who know, I, I've been a criminal lawyer for a long time. I teach criminal law, and I have seen how people uh, respond to their sin sometimes. They feel badly. It wasn't their intention that someone else would be hurt by their actions. And so they feel badly that someone was hurt, but they don't feel badly enough to change. It's possible for us to say, I feel badly that I sinned against God. I feel badly that Jesus died on the cross because of what I did and still not be sufficiently motivated to change. If you're not going to change, then you're not ready to become a Christian. I see also in Romans chapter 12, a similar idea. Paul is really trying to impress this upon the minds of the church at Rome because uh, the people in Rome, they really did still struggle with a lot of sin, even though they had made a commitment. They were still struggling with this. And so he's trying to impress upon them the significance of the commitment that they have made. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which he says is your spiritual service. This is this is what you signed up for, that you would sacrifice yourself and live your life, giving up yourself in service to God. In verse number two, he says, and be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. I'm suggesting to you if uh, 
If you're willing to live a changed life, the kind of life that will reflect God's priorities, the kind of life that will reflect what Jesus wants done in and through you, you may be ready to become his disciple. But you still have to ask yourself, have you counted the cost of following Jesus? It's easy to say in a vacuum, I will make changes. Easy to say in a vacuum, I'm going to be different than I once was. But you should, in making a responsible decision, think about what that's going to mean and what that's going to cost. In Luke 14, again, that same context that we thought about before, Jesus is speaking to this crowd. And he tells them that you've got to prefer me. You've got to put me above your your parents. You've got to put me above your spouse. You've got to put me above your children, your brothers and your sisters. I have to be first, he says to them. And then in verse number 27, he says, whosoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, listen to it, cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he have wherewith to complete it, lest haply when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all that behold, begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, as he goes to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassador and asks conditions of peace. Jesus is saying, listen, intelligent people count the cost before they undertake a certain course of action. You have to be willing to bear your cross to pick it up and follow me. There is a burden that comes with following after me and you have to be willing to carry that burden. Now ask yourself, he says, are you willing to finish the task? Because if a person decided they wanted to build a building or a tower, they would first sit down and look at their resources and make sure they could finish. It's going to cost you. Are you willing to make the sacrifices and pay the cost? If you're going to engage in immortal warfare, are you going to first sit down and ask yourself, listen, Can I achieve a victory here or do I have to try some other way? If you're going to engage in spiritual warfare, aren't you going to sit down first and ask yourself, what's this going to look like? What's this going to cost me? Am I willing to pay the cost? In Matthew chapter 20 or 13, you see the same thing in Luke chapter 8. Jesus speaks about the parable of the sower and the soils and so forth. And he talks about the fact that when you scatter the word of God, as we sort of go outside the wire and we scatter the word of God, we're going to see the word fall on different kinds of hearts. And sometimes the hearts will be hardened. They will be wayside. And so they'll never receive the word of God. Uh, Sometimes the soil will be thorny soil. That is to say, there's There's a shared environment where people expect that they can receive the word of God and the word of God is supposed to share priority in their lives. And of course, people who have that kind of thinking, they will never bring any fruit to maturity, he says. Some soil he describes as stony soil or rocky ground. That is, it's very shallow And he says that the significance of that particular part of the illustration is that sometimes people will receive the word with joy 
and they will respond immediately. It's just like a, a shallow soil where the seed will immediately spring up. But then he says, when when the sun is hot, when persecution comes, when trouble comes. The fruit will wither, the plant will die. Because there was no depth. And I'm saying to you, see, a person who who goes through the steps to become a Christian but doesn't have the requisite depth, they're not really ready to follow Jesus Christ. But if you are ready to count the costs and you understand that in living your life the way Jesus wants it lived, that means you're going to be a little different than everybody else. And you understand that some of your friends, uh, some of your co-workers, uh, some of your uh, neighbors, they're not going to be excited about some of the changes that you're going to make. If you understand that being a Christian is not a popularity contest and you're willing to be unpopular, if that's what it means to be right with God, you understand that. And you're willing to accept that. You're willing to accept sometimes uh, being singled out and made fun of. To be right with God. Well, see, then maybe you're ready. Maybe you're ready to become Jesus' disciple. Have you uh, thought about whether you're ready to be faithful for the remainder of your life? Being a Christian is not a temporary decision. It's not the kind of thing you do for a day or a week or a month. It's not the kind of thing you do for a year. If you want to follow Christ then understand that the commitment you make is to follow him for the remainder of your days. In Revelation 2, in verse 10, of course, Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death, and then you'll receive the crown of life. You be faithful if it means that you die. He's not saying you just be faithful for a period of time. You continue being faithful no matter what it costs. And sometimes the cost will be your life. Are you willing to remain with Christ, to stay with him, to abide faithful with him all the rest of your days if it means that you die? Because that's what Jesus did. He died in order to be faithful to his father. In 2 Peter 2, there's a really helpful, I think, two illustrations that Peter gives here to help us see how God thinks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse number 20, the apostle says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the last state has become worse with them than the first. What's he saying? If a person becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ and, and Christ by, by the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses them from the, from the eternal consequences of their sin. If they have escaped all of that and then they later go again and become entangled with the world, he says, it'll be worse for them in the end than it was in the beginning. Why? Listen to it. In verse 21, for it were better for them that they have not known the way of righteousness than after having known Turn back from the holy commandments delivered unto them. It has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog turning again to his own vomit and the sow that has washed again to wallowing in the mire. See, this is how God sees it. 
He sent his son into the world to to give his life so that we could have an opportunity to be with him in eternity. He sees us wallowing in the mire of sin. and He has done what was necessary to cleanse us from our sin. And if having made that sacrifice, if having cleansed us, we initially embrace it and then turn away from it, he finds it a disgusting thing. I had dogs growing up and I, I saw them on more than one occasion vomit out their food and then turn to consume it again. You know, you know if you eat something that... Uh, your body does not desire to have, your body in defending itself will regurgitate it. It will get rid of it. That's to protect you. That's to keep you healthy physically. And spiritually, you know, there are some things that are not good for us. And God does what's necessary for us to get rid of those things, to expel them. Could you imagine eating something that made you sick and then throwing it up and then turning to consume it again? Could you imagine it? It's a disgusting thought. Well, that's how God feels about it when we when we turn again to our sin. And so I'm saying to you, if you're willing to face the trials that are going to come, there's going to be some discomfort if you're willing to to face those difficulties and and stay faithful to Jesus anyhow, because he's going to stay faithful to you. If you're going to keep your hand in his hand, then you may be ready to become his disciple. In becoming his disciple, you have to remember something. You're not going to be a Christian all on your own. Christians are not children of God in isolation. Christians are always members of God's family. And so you have to ask yourself, are you ready to love the Lord's church? In John 13, verse 34, beginning there, Jesus says, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by the love you show one for another. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You can't be his disciple if you're not going to love those whom he loves. You can't be his follower if he has laid his life down for the church. And then you're not going to love it as he loves it. In following Christ, you have to love those whom he loves. And he loves the world, but he loves his church especially. He would say to his disciples on a few occasions, but twice in John 15, he would say to them, he has given them this new commandment that they love one another. The way that he has loved them, they ought to love one another. And that's what a follower of Christ must do. If you will love the church that Jesus died to build, if you will love the church that Jesus gave his blood to purchase, then you may be ready. You may be ready to become his disciple. But only if you want to be with him in eternity. You see, the following after Christ in this life is not only about this life, it's about the next life. You remember in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he was going to to go and they were concerned about that. He tells them that they didn't need to be overcome with worry. They didn't need to be overcome with grief. He says to them, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am there, you shall be also. 
John 14 and 3. You remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 13, and he continues that discussion Paul does all the way uh, through into chapter 5, but, but he tells us what things are going to happen when Jesus does come again. And he says that those who are the faithful dead, those who have died in Christ, they would rise and they would meet Jesus in the air. And those who are alive and remain, they would be caught up to, to be with Jesus and those who had died in Christ also. But then he says, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Jesus is going to come again. And when he does, all of this is going to be destroyed. And so we don't follow Christ because we're concerned about all of this only. We follow Christ because when all of this is gone, we want to be with him forever. And so if it uh, if that interests you, if you want to be with with Christ in eternity and you're not as interested in the only alternative. I was asked a question one time about about hell and some of the things that we don't know. And I sort of told the person, listen, everything that I don't know, uh, I'm just wanting to leave it right there. I don't want to know any more about hell than I know right now. I know enough to know that I'm not interested. And there's only one alternative. And so if you want to be with God in eternity, you want to be with his son, Jesus Christ, uh, maybe you are ready to be his disciple. If you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you understand who Jesus is, you know how he saves. If you're sorry about your sins and you're willing to put Jesus first, willing to make the changes that God requires of you, if you have counted the cost and you want to be faithful for the rest of your days, if you will love the church that Jesus loves and you want to live with Jesus in heaven for eternity. See, then you are ready. Then you are ready. If those things are true, you don't have to question in your mind. If those things are true, there's no reason for you to continue sitting and wondering and thinking and pondering. If those things are true, listen, you are ready to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You want to be with him forever and you want to do what he wants done right now. If you want to be who God wants you to be and it doesn't matter so much what you want it to be outside of that or what others might have wanted for you. If you want to be who God wants you to be and you want to do what God wants you to do and you want to accept the sacrifice that Christ has made for you on the cross at Calvary, then you are ready to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you should. You should become a Christian. And you should do that today. We just don't know how much time God is going to give us. He has given everyone in here enough time to do what ought to be done. We don't know how much more time he's going to give us. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and you are ready to change your mind and your life to conform to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you open your mouth and say that. You're baptized to have your sins washed away. And Romans chapter 6 says, then you walk in newness of life. You have been born again, a child of God.
I hope these thoughts are helpful, uh, certainly for those, uh, the younger folks among us who, if they haven't already sort of confronted this decision, they certainly will. And I hope these thoughts are helpful in thinking through it. Maybe there are those among us, as I said, who uh, maybe they're not as young, but they've just been sitting sort of limping between these two opinions. Should I should I become a Christian or not? I hope these kinds of thoughts are helpful for you in determining whether or not you are ready. And as you continue to go out and talk with people about Jesus Christ and what he has done, I hope these thoughts will help you help them to know. You can know you are ready. And you can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul. Friends, I'm going to leave it there, and I hope that, uh, I hope that it is helpful to you. We're going to stand and sing. And we do this as a, matter of, as a matter of custom, but here's the point. If you're sitting in your seat, limping in your mind between two opinions, if you're sitting in your seat thinking to yourself, I would rather be with Christ in eternity than embrace the only other alternative. If you're thinking to yourself, I see that life is set before me on one hand and death on the other, and you know in your heart that you want to choose life, that's what this time is for. That's what this time is for. And so as we stand and sing together, if we can help you, would you please let us know how we can.